This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Ben Lieber was a star running back coming out of high school in Vermilion, South Dakota, but when he came to Kansas State in the late 90s, he switched to linebacker, and it was a very good decision. Lieber went on to become a two-time All-Big 12 linebacker and then a third-round selection by the San Diego Chargers in the 2002 NFL Draft. He played 10 seasons with three different franchises, but after four years in San Diego, Ben and his wife Abby settled in Minneapolis, where he played five seasons with the Minnesota Vikings. Speaking of Abby, while she was in college at K-State, she came to work for us, handling subscriptions and customer service for our former magazine, Powercat Illustrated, when we opened our office in Aggieville, the bar and business district close to the Kansas State campus. We then found out that her boyfriend was Ben, so he became a regular visitor to our office. They are an amazing couple because both of them are incredibly kind and caring people. They were as college students and they remain so nearly 20 years later. Let's give Ben a call in Edina, a suburb of Minneapolis, where he's hunkered down with Abby and their three beautiful children. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. How you doing? Are you uh, locked down? Yeah, we're locked down. Yep, we're, um, I don't know, we've been doing this thing for a while now, so it, it hasn't been terrible. We can still go to the grocery store, and I think it's I think it's the same protocol that pretty much everybody else is on. That's yeah. it. Aside from the states that are basically um, not locked down, but if you're on lockdown, I think we're all on the same protocol. I am uh, not allowed to leave. It, it turns out that cancer makes you a little more susceptible, but I don't have any like active cancer. I'm in treatment right mm-hmm. now, so technically could, but is it really worth going to the store to find out I was wrong? Right. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably not. And, the, so and the, real, that. the really good news is the first case of like local transmission happened in Manhattan this week, and one of the places they had been was the grocery store we go to. I'm like, yeah! Was it really? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. They're not sure where he or she found it, but they crossed it somewhere in town, and they haven't been out of town, and now they have the coronavirus. Huh. 
But we've been doing pretty well yeah. here in Manhattan. I was gonna say that there can't be many cases. It's gotta be like one of the one of the places in the middle of the country that just people aren't traveling to and from New York or China or Seattle or Florida. I don't know. And on top of that, it happened over spring break and we didn't let the students come back. We told them to stay at home with mom and dad. So uh, we are down about 24,000 people from normal time right now. And I think it has made Manhattan kind of safer, which is, which is nice. But, uh, you know, that, that moment in time in the summer when nothing's going on in Manhattan and you can drive everywhere and get into any restaurant. Yeah. yeah. That's right now, except you can't go anywhere. I mean, none of the restaurants are taking customers. So you just go pick up your food or get it delivered. Yeah. Are you guys still able to do takeout and stuff like that? Yeah. You know, but I, every time someone even drops something off at the door, I'm like, where has all of that been? Like, a you know, a bottle of pop from a pizza place. I'm like, who all's touched that? I, you get so paranoid with this, Ben. I know. Yeah. I mean, if I was in your situation that had battled cancer or anything like that, if I was in that sort of that high risk department, I would be. I'd be probably pretty pretty terrified too, but you know, I we're I'm, we're certainly taking precautions. Like I wash my hands, and I you know if I go out and about, I'm I'm uh, I've got like a thing of antibacterial wipes in my car, and so like I'm wiping everything down yeah. again. So I'm doing that stuff, but I'm certainly not uh, I'm not worried about it from my standpoint. I'm I Abby and I are like you know what if we're going to be quarantined for the next four weeks anyway, we might as well just have it run through our house. Everybody gets sick. We're all, we're all deemed like we're, we're in that safe category, especially the kids. I'm like, let's just all suffer through a few fevers and coughs. And then let's just be like, get on with it. Like if they, if they say in the end, you know, eight months from now, a year from now, most of us are going to come across it anyway. Like just give it to me now and let's just move on. <laughs> like this yeah, living exactly. in fear just is stupid. Like, I, I was doing some research. I wrote a column about how America, me, and a lot of other people in America need football season. We just need it. We need to figure out yep. how to tamp this thing down and control it. There's a lot of places between here and a vaccine. There's treatments popping up. Let's hope we can wrestle this thing into, you know, a little bit more of normalcy. Guys like me, people like me probably need to be cautious. Certainly anyone who has it needs to be quarantined. But then everyone else can kind of go about their lives. But I didn't realize in 09, the H1N1, 20% mm-hmm. of America got it. 20%. Yeah. So, and it's now part of the flu vaccine. They, you know, finally found the vaccine for that. But uh, it was less uh, fatal. It was less deadly. So people kind of went about their lives. But um, yeah. But we also have to recognize that most people that, and it's not all, but most people that are dying are immune compromised older, uh, in, in walks of life that we need to be very careful. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a tricky thing because obviously every life is important and nobody wants to see anybody die. Right. But, um, yeah, there's certainly the cost or analysis with this thing. And I think it, I think that they also, just because they knew very little about it, they're like, okay, we know what family of coronavirus it is. We kind of know about what it does, but it seems like the infectious rate really caught them off guard too. Like, oh shit! Like, unlike the swine flu, yeah. this thing is super infectious. You know, and like, yep. and targets your lungs and all this other stuff. So, it started off because I think even Fauci said in January he's like, "Yep, yeah, we're aware of it, but 
you know, not a big deal for Americans right now. Like, I wouldn't worry about it. And yeah, then, I mean, we were relying was, a lot of a lot of information from China, and they were playing it down. And you know, once again, we learned our lesson: you just can't trust a communist government. someday we'll figure this out. <laughs> and of course not. Someday we'll figure this out. What is life like? This has got to be a pretty time of year as we head towards warmer months in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, weather is starting to turn around. I mean, that's, that is the one thing. Everybody around here just says, why the hell do we live here? Um, and then, you know, you say that in the winter months. And even though you're saying that and you you do enjoy it, you know, there are bits and pieces of it that it's really iconic and idyllic that, Wow, we've got our kids out at the at the the local park, and they're ice skating. And you've got your hot cup of uh, hot chocolate, and you know the snow is falling. Like there are some like really like snow globe moments, um, but really like this time of end of end of February into April are really the worst months because it still has the ability to get really cold. The last two years. The second week of April, we've had um, two snowstorms, each about 20 inches of snow. Um, so you, you always like are kind of like on edge, like, oh, what's the weather going to be like? But once the weather breaks, which we're, we're having an early spring now, it's, it's awesome. Like there's no humidity. Um, you know, the hottest it gets in the summertime for about three weeks is like 90, 91 is like as hot as it ever gets. And that's it. So it's great. Yeah, it's at least you get nice seasons. I mean, you get you get a nice temperate kind of part of the year. As you know, in Kansas, we get ridiculously hot or just windy, crappy cold. We don't yeah. get we don't no, get many iconic winter scenes here. The wind is blowing the snow, and then it melts it and refreezes it as ice, and that's your winter. I know, I know. I mean, there obviously there are times where. We would love to have that sort of Kansas winter where it's just very mild and, and the kids get really excited if they they can bring their sleds out, even if it's for one day. But, um, you know, I, I can't do the heat and humidity. I couldn't do the windiness um, of all summer. So, yeah, they're, every, every place has its goods and its bads. But, um, you know, when it's, when it's good here, which it is for, you know, seven months of the year, it's uh, there's no better place, man. It's, it's a great city. 20 inches of snow. My, I can't wrap my mind around that and functioning. If I lived on uh, top of a mountain in Colorado, I could deal with it. But just being in a town, a city where you got to drive around with 20 inches of snow just sounds paralyzing. <laughs> well, they do do a good job of snow removal. Uh, that is the one good thing. They they will they will line up our interstates and they'll go depending obviously how many lanes uh, they're they're plowing. But if it's a three or four lane interstate, they'll have the salt trucks with the plows and they will stagger them about every hundred yards, and they'll go about forty miles an hour. Just, they might have a line of cars behind them, but they are clearing one side of the interstate in one big swoop. It's just oh, like, wow. it's done, you know? And uh, they've got a pretty good system. And kind of like any other rainy day or bad weather day, you know the snowstorm is coming. So it's kind of a nice break of, like, kind of what we're doing now. And the kids are just going to run around, and it's going to be, like, two days of just kind of staying inside, which is kind of fun. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's this place called Canada. It's actually north of you. And people live there, and I don't know why. I, I, I know. I'm like, I, know. I vowed never to live north of where I am now, 
and you're well north of that. And I'm like, there's a whole other country up there that people do this in. I I don't get it. I I know. But you know when the when the <clears throat> lakes, you know, we have some dirty lakes here. But you know when you get to a a lake and you can see 20 feet below, and the water's crystal clear, and it's so kind of crisp and cool, but it's warm out. And you know we have we have bugs and mosquitoes, but for the most part, we don't have the heat and humidity like you guys have. Like there's there's it is it is really really nice, and it's it's a great place. But like I, I'm gonna I'm out of this place because I think it's sort of a hidden gem that people don't think about when they think about uh, major metropolitan cities. But um, believe me, when the kids when the kids graduate and leave, Abby and I are we're, we're gone. Like, <laughs> we're, not, we're not staying here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Life's too short. Life's too short to be wearing a uh, a scarf and a hat for uh, you know for five months. It's crazy. So. I know. Well, get me up to date on the kids. Your ridiculously beautiful children. What what is the latest on them, and how old are they? Uh, thanks. Um, so we have a daughter. She's eleven. She's about to be twelve in May. Uh, she's a sixth grader, and. She just is a classic firstborn, you know. She's a, she's a rule follower. She's very self motivated, um, and she she's involved in volleyball. She does uh, horse jumping, so she's a hunter. And um, oh, she does dive, which is going to get canceled probably this summer. But uh, those are kind of her her main things. Uh, we've got a son that's just turned nine years old. He's a he's a little taekwondo kid, and he does taekwondo and basketball and was going to do baseball. Uh, he does dive as well. So he's in third grade. And then we have our five-year-old about to be six-year-old boy. And he is in kindergarten and he is our little spitfire. He's our, he's the one boy that I would say is most caveman like. <laughs> and, you know, if, if a, if a football coach, is looking for the next uh, big dumb oaf to run through a brick wall for him. I think I may have your kid. Um, he's very fun, very active, uh, very sporty, uh, but the kid is a knucklehead, and I and I worry a little bit about his brain cells. Like he got CTE genetically passed on. <laughs> he, he got like an early case of CTE. I don't know, man. Like he's he's just a funny kid because he's uh, he's just kind of a brute, you know. And he, and now that he's getting to the age where he's getting into WWE, it's just oh, no. you know, it's he's got his favorite characters and he's mimicking their moves and he's he's just he and my other boy are completely or they're, they're built completely different. My nine year old is built like my wife. He's sort of petite, small frame, small bones, very wiry. Um, and he's and, and my five year old's built more like me, where he's thicker boned. He's got he's got a button size on him. He's just he's really well coordinated. He's pretty athletic. Um, and again, if you if I told him like, hey, go go punch that wall, he would just go over and punch the wall. You know. <laughs> so well, it's uh, it's fascinating how different your children all are. I mean, they're all kind of got their own lane and. I mean, that would be fun as a parent or exhausting. Either way, you want to look at it. You got so many different activities. It's not like you're going to go through 20 prolonged years of youth soccer or, you know, one thing. You're going to do a bunch of stuff. 
Yeah, I mean that's what we're trying to do now, and I know that you know both both uh, Abby and I we come from small towns, so this whole idea of specialization in sports just seems so ridiculous to us. Like, what? Why would you do that to your kids? And you know, all, all the coaches and everybody, even professional uh, coaches and scouts, they look for for multi sport athletes and. Um, you know, we're getting further and further away from that. But I also am now understanding in the major cities, the pressure that these kids are under and the parents that they're under, that if every, if one league is going to specialize, then the other league's going to feel like they're falling behind if they're, if they're not. And so to stay competitive across all the communities, now everybody's starting to specialize and sort of put this pressure on these kids that they got to be in every summer practice or every off-season workout. And, uh, and and stay in that sport. And so we're kind of getting into that right now where my daughter is volleyball. She's getting really serious. Um, and, you know, we're already getting hit up. Like, what club is she going to be in? When, you know, let's do this. Let's get a group of parents together to do this other league, this other, like, summer league. What about volleyball? And it's like, man, the, she's, she's, only, she's going to the seventh grade. She doesn't need to specialize quite yet. But that's the pressure that all these people are, are under. And, you know, we're, we're going to try to do our best to navigate it. We want them to be as well-rounded as possible. And so we're going to try to hold off on specializing as much as we can. Yeah, that's one of those things that I I see a lot of parents making that choice for the kid instead of the kid making the choice and just kind of gravitating to what they want to do. And maybe they don't want to specialize. Maybe they just want to play every sport in, in season and pick up a guitar or whatever they want to do and just do their thing. It's yeah, and that's—I I think we're getting to that point with my daughter now that she's old enough and mature enough to kind of make some of those decisions and we talk through them. Um, that we'll we'll talk about, but you know how it is. It's, it's a lot of it's social. You know, where where are your friends? What are your friends going to do? What are they going to do? And it's hard to kind of break off and do your own thing. So I think ultimately it's going to be, you know, what are your what are your friends doing? We have to have a conversation with those parents too. Um, are you guys going to specialize? Are you guys going to allow your kids to do other things? And, and so. You know, it's it makes our life busy, especially during the football season where I'm I'm out of town a lot. Um, it puts a lot more on on Abby, but um, you know we're figuring it out. We're we're relying on carpools a little bit more often. So um, you know, as everybody else, you just you run around and you just try to keep your head up straight. Well, to fill in the blanks for people, your wonderful wife Abby worked for us when we had the magazine down in Aggieville for I don't know how many years she worked for us, but it was great. I remember one spring break, she left Becky and I in charge of her little grass she kept on her desk, her rye grass. She had a little pot of grass. She cut its hair, yeah. and, you know, keep it short. And we took it on a, a we did like a scrapbook of all the places we took rye, the grass, uh, on spring break. And we took it literally everywhere with us that spring break. Um, and Rye was with us with photographs and everything. So that was a highlight of her work career. She probably at that point decided <laughs> these people are not normal. The The highlight of that, though, was when I took it out and there was a Harley, like there was bikers at a bar next door. And it was a legit biker with a Harley. And I took out the little little pot with rye in it and put them on the seat and took photos and then scrambled back inside like a coward like oh that's awesome i mean like, you guys you guys were like progressive social media people before social media was even social media i mean imagine that's what everybody does now you know you you can't walk down the street with somebody like stopping to pose or like bringing out a goofy, you know, potted piece of grass and trying to like take pictures of it. Yep. Like you guys were trendsetters. I, I I like to think of that. And speaking of trendsetting, I don't know if you remember this moment. Becky and I were out in San Diego for 
one of the last Holiday Bowls, it probably was the last Holiday Bowl K-State went to, and you were playing out there um, with the Chargers, and you, we went to eat with you, and you introduced me to Pacifico Mexican beer. Still to this day, <laughs> it is my choice. I drink Pacifico really? everywhere I can. Oh, I love Pacifico. Love it. I'm a big fan of Mexican beers overall. I know right. that um, I, just, I just saw recently, might have been, been today, and I don't want to date this whole thing, but it was today, I think, at least it was in the news, that Mexico said that they're going to halt the, yep. the making of Corona beer. But don't fret because they have plenty in stock. But uh, it, it sort of like it, it burned me a little bit because I'm not a big beer drinker, but when I tend to lean towards a beer, it's a Mexican beer, whether it's Modelo, Pacifico, Corona. There's something about a Mexican beer with a lime that it's just like, that's that's some delicious stuff, man. Well, if you read down in that article, the same maker does Modelo and Pacifico, and they're shut down, too. So, oh, no. <clears throat> I know. I know. I was like, I hope you have plenty. And the fact that they have plenty on hand in those clear glass bottles for Corona explains why, to me, like every other Corona I seem to get is a little bit skunky. Like it's been bottled too long and... You know how beer gets right. if in a clear bottle. What is it about a Mexican beer, and how did I gravitate towards these? I'm not a big beer drinker. I mean, I'd much rather have a Pacifico or, you know, a Modelo. Uh, what else do I drink? Tecante. You know, one of those beers instead of a Bud Light, Miller Light, good old American beers, and even higher-end ones. I just want the Mexican beer. I, I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't even know what, what they're the ingredients, how they're different or what the process of it's different, but they all, it is like, you can just taste the difference between a Mexican beer and like an American lager. They're just different. Yep. Yep. That was an important topic. I'm glad we covered that. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You I know. know. It, literally. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. I remember taking the first drink of Pacifico. It's such a weird thing. Cause Ben, I don't have a memory. I don't, I, I literally mean, I don't hold on to memories. It's like, I just yeah. have these little snapshots. It's just the way I'm wired. I don't remember much of my youth. But I remember we're sitting at a table um, in some little Mexican place, and you guys suggested it, and I took a drink of it, and I'm like, I think I'm in love. And I literally have been. Now Now bars have to have it. It's like if you're going to be my regular bar, you got to have a few things. you got to have uh, Absolute Citron, and you got to have uh, Woodford Reserve, and please have Pacifico. So Yeah. You yeah, know, those aren't bad choices. You know, you're leading a weird life when you can demand from the bars and restaurants what you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you want fits in your place, you have to have this. So, hey, man, you uh, you've been around that place forever, and everybody's got to know you're like um, you've got to be like a little bit like a mob boss. That if you want it. You know, this is going to get it. <laughs> I uh, I don't know if you know this, but we moved out of Aggieville about three years ago, uh, which was weird. Our offices were in the heart of Aggieville. Uh, if, for listeners that don't know, that's the bar district at Kansas State. And um, I I'll tell people I moved my office to Aggieville when I was in my 30s, and I left when I was in my 50s, and that seems about right. And uh, we're downtown, on the fridge of downtown now, and it's a much quieter. There's no... Uh, there's no vomit at your doorstep in the morning. Uh, the yeah, thing, the beauty yeah. that goes with being in a bar district, but uh, we love our new offices and we've got um, studios in there. We've got a podcast studio, which is sitting empty right now, and a video studio, which isn't being used because 
Only D. Scott Fritchin is going to the office right now because he lives across the street. But uh, my life is much more quiet. I I actually go into bars and peop- the my regular bars and people don't know who I am. I'm sad. You're 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 growing up. It's so cute. You're growing up. I know. I'm 55 and I'm finally working my way out of the bar phase of my life. <laughs> cancer had a lot to do with that too. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, I'm going to get graphic here, but I'm an open book. Uh, when you uh, have the threat of wetting your pants at any moment, the uh, charm of drinking really goes down. It really, yeah, right. You really don't find it as quite as charming when you could pee yourself in public at any moment. But that's just yeah. me. That's just the yeah. the life I lead now. Um, <laughs> so fill people in. Well, you you do Viking sideline work, correct? And you do college games for Fox. Uh, is that pretty much what's keeping your time, and you are gone a lot during football because of that? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, I I, I contribute in other areas around town too, but uh, when it comes to what I would consider work, yeah, I I work with Fox. Um, I have moonlighted with uh, with Westwood One uh, this last year. I did a little bit of stuff on NFL Network as they picked up Conference USA. Uh, for one season. I don't think that they're going to maybe do that again. I don't know. I think everything is kind of on hold right now because of the, the current national situation. But, um, you know, so I'll work with various networks, but mainly it's Fox Sports. Um, and, and they will send me wherever they deem uh, my crew to go. So it could be anywhere in the Big Ten, the, the Big 12, or the Pac-12. And, um, and I'll call games on Saturdays. Usually I fly out on Thursday nights. We meet with coaches and stuff Friday, production meetings, all that jazz, call the game Saturday, and then I will hightail it out of town as soon as possible and and catch up with the Minnesota Vikings and do their, their radio sideline reporting for those games. So it can be a little of a logistical challenge during the course of the year just to get you know all, all around the country. I've gone from calling a game at UCLA on a, on a Saturday night to doing a – a one o'clock kickoff at uh, Lincoln Financial in Philadelphia the next day. So it's it can be it can be a little crazy, but I love it. Um, during the course of the week, I also contribute to our our radio station up here. We have an iHeart station, uh, KFA and Radio. That's the flagship station for the Vikings. Um, I'm on a few shows during the course of the week, uh, doing Vikings coverage, NFL coverage. That pretty much continues all the way through the year through into the off season. I'll pick up like right now. I'll do. I'm doing more stuff with just true Viking stuff, not as much college football stuff. Although it's a mix because you know it is draft season. So I'm. Uh, I'll look at potential players the Vikings may be looking at in the first round. Um, so there's there's that part of it as well. And, and as you know, Tim, you know football never stops. And so I still I still give myself office hours um, pretty much every day. To, to watch film, to break down players, do do quick videos. You know, now we're doing everything remote, so I've got to do videos and stuff for the Vikings and Vikings.com. Uh, so I'll do that stuff. And then, you know, I, I, I lend my hand to a lot of different other, other deals. I, I run the, the St. Jude area golf tournament, and I've been the, the chairman and the host for that for the last couple of years. Nice. Uh, I, I lend myself to a hunger relief program here in the Twin Cities, um, and they've—they're actually a big national company that originated here in the Twin Cities called uh, the Taste. And they have taste the NFL and taste of various um, various, I guess, NFL teams. 
and they have a big Super Bowl gala that's sponsored by the NFL, and I, I help contribute with that as well. So it's you know it's, it's a bit of charity work. It's a it's a lot of football, and um, you know obviously family time. That's a good life, brother. That's a good life. You can still stick around football, have family time, do things. Uh, that help people out that need some help. It's that's pretty darn good, Ben Lieber. Good job. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's, you always just got to keep your. I've always just wanted to like, keep moving. I wanted to stay in football. I knew that. Uh, I knew that I did not want the life of a coach. Yeah. And having a young family when I retired, I thought, man, there's. I, I want to know my kids. Um, I don't want my kids just to know me and know about me. I actually want to know them. And uh, coaching life was really hard. And, and I did not want to be in that mode of, of being nomadic and traveling from place to place, seeking a, a promotion here and there. And as much as I've, I have friends that are in the business, they find it wildly fulfilling uh, and they do love it. Uh, they also know that the, the challenges of being a coach are, are very real. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to uh, go into administration because those guys work crazy hours as well. So I thought... Hey man, if I can if I can make it in the media stuff and I can carve out a living, then um, that's the best fit for me. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. And you're not doing as many Big 12 games now with the new TV stuff, are you? I mean, a lot of a lot of those Tier 3 games for the Big 12 moved to ESPN Plus and, and that nonsense. So f- there are still some Fox regional games that come into here, but you're just not into this area as much as you were, are you? No, not really. You know, the I'm trying to think for our for our group, you know, we're, we're pretty much like the fourth, fifth tier for for fs1 or or big fox and so um it all just depends you know it depends on the matchup i know early on it hadn't had the iowa state northern iowa game um you know they they decided to put that one on fs1 uh i've done i feel like i've done a lot of a lot of baylor uh, a few texas tech uh, a couple oklahoma states and then um you know, bouncing kind of a little bit out, out west as opposed to the Big Ten. The Big Ten, I've, d- I've dabbled in a little bit, but but uh, it's mostly Big 12 and Pac-12. Interesting. I guess to someone in New York, being in Minneapolis, you are out west. You know, yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah. perception a little bit. I want to make fun of Lubbock, trying to get it in and out of Lubbock to connect to a location for a Vikings game. But I live in Manhattan, Kansas 
where that would be even more challenging. I don't know how you'd pull that off if you had a night game in Manhattan and a day game for the Vikings the next day. I don't know how you'd accomplish that with our airport situation. I mean, we got daily flights, but by the time the game's done, you'd have to take off in the morning. Yeah, and that's typically what happens is I, I'm willing to drive. Like, you know, I, you know, it's like one of those things when you, when you don't have a choice, you just have to do what you got to do. And you, know, you speak of Lubbock. Lubbock, obviously, is, is horrible to get in and out of. Uh, last season, I had to get done with my game in Lubbock. I think it was a mid-afternoon game. And I had to drive the four and a half hours or whatever it was to DFW, oh. catch a flight that night uh, to get to the Vikings game. And then... If uh, with the K-State game, I believe I had to drive to Kansas City afterwards, sleep at the, the Marriott there, take the 6, six o'clock flight or 6.30 flight back to Minneapolis the next morning, um, come home, change, go to the, go to the stadium because we have a 10 o'clock. We have a 10 o'clock uh, pregame show for a local Fox 9 affiliate. Um, so I'll, I try to make it back for that. So, you know, if there's driving involved, there's driving involved. You know, it's just it's just kind of what you sign up for, and you just got to do it. Man, those pregame shows make you day long, don't they? I mean, I did that for so many years. <laughs> it's like, you, man. You know what I'm talking about. Man, 11 a.m. kick, you're on the radio at 7, and the game's over, you know, like at 3, or you're out of press conferences almost 4. And then you got work to do. I'm like, oh, God, you know, at some point I was finally like, I don't need to be on the radio at 7 a.m. That's just not my lifestyle. I can't do that anymore. I know. I know. And that's and that's my schedule on the weekends is I'll get done with the game on Sundays and then I'm right back uh, on morning show. Or, well, our morning show starts at 530 in the morning, but Ugh. they don't have me coming until 7. Oh, yeah, that's nice. So <laughs> I'll get done. You know, there, there are times where, you know, the Vikings will be on the road playing a Sunday night game and we'll land at two or three in the morning and I might get two hours of sleep, three hours of sleep and get back up and go into the station at seven and do that for two hours and then start my college prep. Wow. That's just the, the hoops you have to jump through, but I got to say this and it's not just because we're friends and we go way back. I think you are very good as a color commentator. You're very even handed, uh, knowledgeable. Um, you have a good delivery and you know, there's, so much of the industry now, the the kind of irritating over the top guys get ahead, uh, and that's a shtick you got to be really good at. You know, you, you got to have yeah. you got to have a a real knack for it to be good at it. If not, you're just kind of annoying the listeners. But you do a really good job, and um, I would put you and Joel Clad on the same level. I think you do an outstanding job, brother. Wow, wow, that's that's high praise. Thank you. I think Clad, I think Clad's phenomenal. Um, you know, it's, it's it's weird when you're you know you, you're older than somebody, but yet you're you're like learning from that younger person. Yeah. And you know, I'm older than Clat, but I'll I'll watch the you know Fox's A crew, and and I'm watching Clat and listening to Clat. I'm like, man, you know, how does he, you know, that, that transition was great, or his thought process there was spot on. You know, how he gets in and out of that is perfect. Like. And, and yet it's still conversational and it's not like he's talking down to you. And, you know, there's, there's an art form to it. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, but who's the, the guy with oh, Pat McAfee? You know, if, yeah. if you if you try to fake Pat McAfee's no. deal, you're just going to fall on your face. Right. But, you know, that's who he is. He's you know, awesome. That's 
Yeah. He's awesome at it. You know, he's he's entertaining, and it's a shtick, but it works, and it's fun, and it keeps he he keeps sports and football fun. And I know, you know, you're polarizing in the in the in the way that some people might listen to you. Like, I hate you. I can't stand your voice. I can't stand the shtick. But by and large, most people are going to enjoy it. And you know, if if I or anybody else tried to fake that and try to be like him when you're not him, like. You're gonna. That's gonna be so transparent, and you're gonna be. It's gonna be so off-putting. It's just better just to be yourself and uh, and hope it works. Basically, to be that way on the radio, you had to spend a lot of years getting in trouble at school or at home, because you're always popping. Believe me, I know this. You're always popping off. You always had that smart aleck comment, and you got in trouble, and then it becomes your job, and it's kind of nice. Well, and he talked about it. You know, I'm not. I'm not like a, a huge follower of his, but I didn't hear him say that. Ever since he was a kid, he practiced being a, a WWE personality. And <laughs> you can you can hear that in his cadence. You can hear that in the way he, he crescendos up to his point and how he gets amplified and animated. I mean, he is built for the ring. And he's like, this is what I've been wanting to do my whole life. And it, it really, to me, comes out in the, into what he's always wanted. And it's truly like a fun little passion. When you look around your industry and you see a guy like Tony Romo getting the kind of amount of money he is for what he's doing, is is that just stunning that that is available in that industry? It is. It is. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I get it, but I also don't get it because, you know, if, if Tony Romo is calling a game, uh, I don't necessarily jump channels just to listen to him. You know, I, right. I guess I'm... I'm a intentional football watcher, be, meaning that I, I want to watch a certain team or a certain matchup. And obviously, because he's on the A crew, it's what CBS deems is like the game that everybody wants to watch. So I probably will watch it. But you know, I'm that that kind of goes with a lot of a lot of uh, the football telecasts. You know, just because I like Joe Buck does not mean I'm going to flip the channel just to watch Joe Buck. I'm going to watch the matchup, and if it happens to be. Uh, Kenny Albert doing the game, and then it just, it's, it's Kenny doing the game. Like I'm not, so I, I understand that he's built up this massive tidal wave of momentum, um, but I personally can't see the advertisers being like, "Oh yeah, we're going to go ahead and support that that contract because we know that you're going to get X more viewers than you ever had." I think people just want to watch football, just to watch football, not not for the announcers, but for the game itself. For me, there's only one place where that makes sense. And and it's not just doing the best game on Sunday among many other games. It's the feature game, the Sunday night game, the Monday night game. Mm-hmm. That is a little bit more because I grew up with the classic Monday night football cast of characters. And you did kind of tune in because the shtick and the, the delivery and the Cosell stuff, it was all so good and so all part of the show of football. So I can see it if he was in one of those featured slots. I was just stunned to see CBS say, yeah, we're going to pay you this much money to do games that I feel like exactly like you. Either fans are going to watch the game for the teams or they're not going to watch the game for the teams. And the announcers don't drive any viewership there. If it's a horrible announcer and you're kind of on the fence, do I want to watch this game? You might say no, but I don't think anyone's like, oh, Tony Romo's doing a game I have no interest in. I better watch that. I just found it very interesting. Yeah, yeah. if I, if I had a choice between, and, I'm, and I'll take all my bias out of this, if I, if I had a choice between the 
the afternoon game on Fox versus the afternoon game on CBS, I'm going to pick the matchup. I'm not going to pick the network. I'm not going to pick uh, who's calling the game. I'm going to say, well, I really want to watch this NFC matchup or I really want to watch this AFC matchup. It doesn't. I'm not picking because of the announcers. I'm just picking because of the matchup. So yeah. I, that's, but that's me. But I also know, I also know a handful of people that just love it. You know, they're kind of a cult following that. Dude, he, he teaches me so much about football when I'm watching that I, that he's better than anybody else. And I'm going to watch Roma. I don't know. I guess there's some of that too. Yeah, I I see it. He is very good. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not worthy of a the biggest paycheck in the industry. I'm just stunned by the size of that paycheck. Uh, do you want me to call your agent and say, you need to get Lieber some of those millions? I can do that for you. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, my agent, obviously, because they would get the commission, they, they are, they would love to, they don't need any extra motivation. What you need to do is you need to, you need to call Mark Silverman over at Fox or anybody over at, uh, at TBS and tell them that. Should I identify myself as the godfather of Aggie? You only think that will impress him? Yeah, I think so. That's got some some weight to it. Hey, Mark, I want to talk to you about Lieber. (laughs) (laughs) These are crazy times, man. I can't imagine what's going to happen in this country. As I mentioned, I wrote a column about we need football. Uh, We need to find a way to get by, if we can find a way to get by on a day-to-day basis, without the vaccine, but make this more survivable. This country, if it doesn't have football, I'm really worried about it. I'm worried about people by then will just be stir crazy and things are going to start coming apart. And I'm not talking about going to games. I'm just talking about even if you're playing in an empty stadium, people need to have fresh content on their television sets that they can watch some football. No, I agree with you. And I think more so for me, it's it's timing. I know that we're already starting to get a little stir crazy and our our kids are taken care of. I think it's just this this yearning for getting back to your life and um, and just getting back to a sense of normal. And having those freedoms that uh, that we always kind of took for granted, but you know, you know, if we have to do this all the way into September, I think just the the sheer time period is going to make everybody just go, go nuts. Yeah. And and I just I think we're going to implode, and some bad things are going to happen. But I'm actually a big fan of of Cadell's decision to keep the NFL on on time and on schedule this off season. I know that I know that. A lot of the other leagues, because they're in season, had to make some big sweeping changes and basically just do a complete stop and halt and postponement postponement on it. But Goodell thought is, well, we can do all this stuff. We can open up the league year. We can do all the free agency stuff. We can do it virtually. Business is going to be as usual for the NFL. And and what happened for those for that one week that the free agency started? It was trending, at least on my social media. And I know it's probably biased because it's it's just aggregating just my interest but it seemed like it was a, a, a perfect distraction for what was going on with the virus and and corona and all this other stuff and i think people really appreciated like man it's kind of fun just to to have all this football to talk about and not always just talk about hey this prediction this and this doomsday that and you know we're all going to turn into zombies and it was nice even if it was a short period of time to have football and to have sports when all the other sports were shut down. Now you take that into the NFL season and the college football season. I'm with you. Even if they have to figure out a way to minimize the crowd or something, as long as football is being played on TV, I think the nation, 
um, is going to be really, really happy that, that there's that, that sense of relief on the weekends that I can watch my football. Yeah, I agree. I mean, ideally we'd have crowds back, but uh, everyone's going to be cautious because we're, we're all about the lawsuits in modern America. So everyone is so shy about lawsuits that someone might get the coronavirus while they're on my property attending something and I'm going to get sued. I think that's, a you know, that doesn't happen for other things, uh, but people are being, you know, I saw Dr. Fauci say he wants, wants a period of zero deaths before we open things back up. And I'm like, we don't have that, that threshold for anything else, anything. We don't have zero death threshold for driving a car, for the seasonal flu. Um, let's just, let's calm down a little bit. I know this stuff is serious and I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not saying this is serious. This stuff is really bad for people uh, that, that get it. And, uh don't have the immune system to fight it off, but trying to say zero infections and zero deaths, and even if you get a vaccine, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with flu. It doesn't happen with other stuff. People just won't get the shot because they don't do it or don't want it. So I, I think we're in a period of semi-hysteria in all directions right now. I mean, we're just... Yeah, we, and I, I would agree with you on that. You know, I... I know that it's much different if you know somebody and you can put a face and a name and a loved one to this to this epidemic and this this virus. But you know, I I wish we and I know that not every disease and not every condition is is contagious in the way that this virus is contagious. So I don't want to compare everything to to this virus. But you know, we we can't prevent. You know, we can't figure out solutions for heart disease, um, for what you went through with cancer. Um, you know, we've got so many other problems in America and around the world that kill people every single day that if, if we're trying to get the coronavirus epidemic down to zero deaths before we get back to normal life, I don't think we'll ever get there. You know, I, I think agree. that's, that's an impossible number. Um, that's the type of hysteria that I just wish wouldn't come out of his mouth and just uh, be a little bit more reserved and, and reasonable about what their expectations are. The bottom line of it, if we could stop people from eating bats, I think that would be a good thing. I think that's, yeah, that would be it. That would be you thing. know, it's kind of uh, in our society, we don't sit around eating bats. I wish we could get other parts of the world. You know, I know there's a shortage of food and you eat exotic things, but maybe not eat the dirty bat. If that bar's too high, I'm sorry, but that's where I think we really need to control the bat eating. I even think about how how meaty are bats anyway. Exactly. I mean, I mean, what are you eating really? I mean, I I was always disheartened when I was a young kid and we went uh pheasant and quail hunting and we'd shoot a quail and we'd you know, we'd clean it out and we'd we'd make uh put it in the crock pot and I'm like that little tiny little chunk of meat is all that we got off this bird. Yeah. Like that little thing. And a quail is what? Three times as meaty as a bat. Like, I don't, what are you even eating on a bat? I don't know. You know, and the thing about uh, pheasant and quail hunting, or any hunting, it involves waking up in the morning, going out, walking around fields, and making loud noises. All of those things I don't find acceptable. Um, I don't have to experience any of that going to the store. So <laughs> I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not opposed to hunting. I'm opposed to me hunting. 
I, I just don't want to yeah. be involved with any of the activities that take place. Just hanging out with the guys is fine, but then someone makes a loud noise and it scares me, and I'm back to wetting my pants. And none of this is what uh, I want but, to be doing. Well, but Tim, the, the smell of a used shotgun shell is so good. I mean, once it once it hits the ground and you pick it up and you can still smell it, it's the best. That is a very cultural reference that's going to scare the crap out of people on the coast who have never even been around hunting, never even thought about the enjoyment or the necessity for some people to hunt. That reference is going to be like, what? The smell of a shell? But you're right. Uh, I know that. The smell of gunpowder? I know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a redneck comment to make, but... um... You know, you go out and do it, and again, you're with your friends, or even if I go turkey hunting with my father-in-law, you know, there's something so peaceful, uh, and you're not even shooting a lot of shells when you go turkey hunting. You're just you're out there before the sun rises. Um, there's wildlife that's all around you that can't see you because you're camouflaged, and and uh, it's just a nice it's just a nice way to get back to nature and what you kill and you don't just leave it there. So you should try it sometime. I could be wearing camouflage, and everyone and every animal know I'm there because my knees would be popping. I'd be out there with my, oh, my back hurts. This gun weighs a lot. I'd be bitching and whining. I'd have to stop to pee because I'm four beers in. Uh, yeah, nobody would want me on their hunting trip. I've said this on about every podcast now. I'm soft, Ben. I'm just soft, man. I, I can't I can't do that. Hey, it's, not, it's never too late to, to hard you up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Um, what Are you carrying many injuries from your playing days? You, you were in the league a long time. I mean, how's your body holding up? Yeah, my body's pretty good. Uh, I, I I really try to keep a, a really good perspective on everything. You know, I know guys that are really, really beat up. And um, so I I got away from the game really lucky. I've got um, I've got a cute, uh, just a couple things that kind of give me fits. You know, I've got a... I've got one bad knee. The other knee is starting to get a little bad. Uh, starting to give me some trouble, but um, you know, I'm bone on bone in my in my left knee, and so I I've, I've just had to like modify just sort of my my lifestyle and how I work out and the things that I do. I've got a bulging disc, a few bulging discs in my neck. I've got an arthritic back, but honestly, it, it, they may it may sound like big words, but they don't. It doesn't really affect me. You know, I. I get some numbness and tingling, and I've got a little weakness in my left arm from the from the bulging discs. But I still can do everything. I don't have to really overthink my lifestyle. Um, once I've once I've managed the pain, which I've done that through through medical cannabis, it's been dude, it's been great, man. I mean i I have no I have no worries. Man, I, uh, being a libertarian, I'm I'm ready for the state of Kansas to get to the medical cannabis because. I know how much it helps people, and you know oh, it's, it's tremendous. Amazing. And I think that there's, you know, there's such a stigma behind what cannabis is and and the way it's taken. And I even in the state of Minnesota where we have legalized medical cannabis, I still have friends that just like, oh, so like you're just like a um, a legal pothead. And I'm like, no, not at all. Like first of all, I, I I've only smoked pot a couple times in my whole life, so I don't even like marijuana itself. Right. Um. And and when I tell them the form that you can take it in, you know they're they're all oils. Um, you can either you can vape them, um, you can take pills. There there are creams, just like any sports cream. Um, there are a ton of different ways that you can take the product. And I just take a pill. I'm like, I take a pill every morning, like it's a multivitamin, and that's it. 
Like it's not, it's not anything major. You know, I don't have to like really hide it from my kids. It's not like I'm worried that they're going to see, see dad stash a pot. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> um, you know, it's very safe and very concealed. Very, I mean, it is very medical, and I, I think that's the the right approach. At least that Minnesota has. I don't know if I would want total legalized marijuana because it can be a little bit wild west, as everybody's been to to Colorado. But as far as the state of Kansas, man, they need to get on board with the, the medical side of things because it's it it helps wonders with with aches and pains and inflammation and pain management, especially if you you know like you you got cancer and. Uh, getting through treatments and all the all the side effects that chemo can give you, you know, medical cannabis can be, pretty much take that all away. Right, it's incredible stuff. And um, you know, my thought on it being just totally legalized if you're in Kansas, it really won't be like it is in Colorado because if a stoner has a choice between living in Kansas and Colorado, we know where they're going. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like. Colorado, you can have them. You know, if you you just want all the people that just want to smoke all day, there you go, and we'll we'll just have the the people here that need it or you know want it less frequently. I, I know this for the state of Kansas. If we could get it federally legalized to grow and cross state lines, it would be huge for the ag community. Just enormous for the agricultural life in Western Kansas that's dying because. Uh, let's just put it this way. They know darn well they can grow weed and they can grow really good weed, uh, the kind, yeah. you know, that would be respected like wheat is out of the state. So it's it's an intriguing well, yeah, possibility. It, yeah, it's an education thing. The face of medical cannabis should be, you know, a child that needs it for pain management, right. um, you know, the, el- the elderly that are sick. Uh, Parkinson's. Or even, you know, yeah. Yeah, Parkinson's. I mean, it, it's you, it's me, it's it's children, it's your mom and dad. It's uh, it's, it's not it's not the Rastafarian that's just sitting in a lawn, uh, a lawn chair, you know, with one sock on, just smoking away. I wonder if I did get it legalized here in Kansas, if I would look good with dreadlocks. That might be a new look that I could roll with. Now I don't have you hair. Try it. I don't have hair. It have to be fake, it. but just uh, dreadlock fits. That'd be kind of kind of a thing, kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, buddy, I'm glad you're doing well. Hug Abby for us. We uh, we cherish her time we spent with her. She was really special, and she brought you into our lives. Becky and I uh, really count you among the the people we think of often. And I'm glad things are going well. Your kids are absurdly good looking, and that's kind of sickening for the rest of society. But you know, hey, <laughs> hey, I, you know. The ugly people can admire your children and say, hey, look at those kids. They're they're damn genetically oh, gifted. Uh, well, it's ridiculous, but thank you. Yep. And uh, let's hope your your youngest doesn't put his head through a wall. I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? In describing your three children, you just described everyone knew those people growing up. And yeah. I have a feeling your youngest is going to be the one that pulls the fire alarm at school, and when they ask him why, he'll say, I don't know, I just pulled it. You know, one of those. Just uh, really no thought about it. I just pulled it. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's going to be him. Have fun. Be, they're going to look at his parents and be like, you guys did a terrible job raising this kid. I'm like, well, we tried our best, man. This is just who he's been since he came out of the womb. Uh, <laughs> just blame Abby. It's just yeah, it's her true. genetics. Don't look at me. It's her. Yeah, I know. Well, for, there's a lot of people out there that, that have, will have no idea in this reference, but you meet you meet Abby's dad and you'll understand that, okay, that's, that's where he gets it from. 
That's so true. Thank you, brother. Good to talk to you, man. You take care. All right. You too, man. Glad everything's going well. Talk soon, bud. Okay, bye. Ben is such a good guy, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that I think he's an incredibly gifted football color commentator. As you can tell, he's very comfortable as a communicator, and his knowledge of the game is impressive. Well, that's it for another episode, and they're now predicting an infection peak in Kansas hitting in late April. So it looks like I will be here at home calling friends for quite a while. And remember, men, get your PSA checked. It can catch the presence of prostate cancer early, And early detection is the best way to beat prostate cancer. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.